good morning. Let's stand together as we worship the Lord through song, singing out a great anthem. To God be the glory, great things he has done. Let's sing this out. To God be the glory, great things he has done. So lofty the world that he gave us his son. Thank you for joining us for worship today at First Baptist Church of Wixom. Here are a few upcoming events to help you stay connected. Please plan to stay for our quarterly member meeting after the worship gathering on July 30th. We will be celebrating God's blessings on FBC and looking at practical things that we can invest in for the future. More information will be available in the link soon. Our missionaries to Uruguay, John and Mickey Rayfeld, will be with us on Sunday, July 30th for a brief update on their work. Please come ready to bless the Rayfelds with a love offering and encourage them as they continue to faithfully reach souls in South America. Mark your calendar now for the church campout on August 18th through the 20th. Please see Pastor Brad if you are interested in leading this activity. Community groups continue tonight at 6 p.m. If you are not yet connected with the Sunday p.m. community group, please visit fbcwixom.org forward slash community groups for more information. Community groups meet in homes on most Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. In just a few minutes, we'll be dismissing children four years to the third grade out the back of the auditorium to our junior church ministry. While there, they will enjoy a great time as they sing songs, play games, and hear a message from God's Word prepared just for them. Giving is one of the many ways we have to worship the Lord. If you'd like to give financially, you can utilize the giving box in the back of the auditorium, or you can give online at fbcwixom.org and click on the tab at the top of the page. If this is your first time at FBC, we would love to connect with you. If you'd like more info about FBC, prayer, or to learn how you can get involved, you can fill out a connections card online at fbcwixom.org forward slash connect. Also, make sure to stop by the Welcome Center on your way out for a special gift after the service. Once again, thank you for joining us for worship today. Now we invite you to worship the Lord through song as we prepare to hear from God's Word this morning. see you this morning and exciting to start our worship service this morning with a couple of baptisms. Before we do that, I just want you to think together with me as a church about the blessing 
the power, really, of this symbolism. We're commanded in Scripture to do this as part of the Great Commission, that we're to share Jesus with everyone that we can, then to baptize them, and then to teach them everything that Jesus has commanded. And baptism occurs in different believers' lives at different times. Today we're baptizing two young adults. But it can be really easy to just overlook baptism as just something that that church does. Where baptism is really profound. It is not just symbolizing that these two young adults are following Christ But this is symbolizing the reality that they are in Christ, that they are baptized in him, Scripture says. And in him, their their sinful nature is put to death and buried. And in Christ, they are raised to new life. And so what that does for us as a church is really a twofold blessing. One, it, it takes these young adults and sort of creates a, a launch point for them to, to, to grow in their faith now really at a rapid pace now that they're in Christ and identified to the church as in Christ. But secondly, and this is I think where we miss it, for us as a church family, this should be a moment where it reminds us of the blessing of being in Christ. What a powerful blessing to think about the fact that he, though sinless and perfect, chose to save us, though completely unworthy and sinful. And yet, by his grace, we get to be in Christ. And so this morning, it's really a privilege to to baptize Sarah Lozier and Josh Lampier. We're going to hear some testimonies from them as we prepare for baptism. Would you listen to Sarah's testimony as she comes in? My name is Sarah Lozier. When I was really young, um, one of the Sundays in Sunday school with Mrs. Kitchen, uh, she was talking all about Jesus and how um, he can save us from hell and like if you accept him into your heart, you're saved and have eternal life and all of that. And something just struck with me and stuck and I was like, I want to know that. I want to know how to do that. And so... Once we got home that Sunday, I sat down with mom in our kitchen and I was like, how do I do this? Like, what what steps do I take? What do I have to do? And she led me through the prayer. And although I may not remember most of it, I do remember that scene and just how I felt that day. Um, just this past year, I began college at Taylor University, which is a small town or a small college in Indiana. And I have a Christian ministries major friend slash roommate, <laughs> and um, we have got to talk about very deeply spiritual stuff this past year. And one of the things we began to talk about was how we both believe that baptism is something that you should do when it feels right. And so through this conversation and everything, I realized that around this time, after hearing like the Sunday or the announcements on Sunday, that it feels right. Like I finally feel like I'm in a place spiritually 
that I feel renewed in my faith and it's the right step to take. And so on July 16th, I get to finally be baptized and feel renewed in my faith and take this step as a Christian. So Sarah is one of our our young people, one of the kids raised in this ministry, hearing the gospel early in Sunday school and junior church and VBS and at home and coming to Saving Faith as a, as a child but growing in her faith and then coming to a point as a college student saying now is the right time for me to really demonstrate this. I fully understand my faith and this, this symbolism of being in Christ and I want to do this in front of my church family. Josh's testimony in a few minutes is quite different, and I love looking at the difference of how uh, people's lives have brought them to the point of faith in Jesus Christ. It's the same faith, it's the same belief, it's the same Savior, the same gospel, different paths in how they came to understand that gospel. So Sarah's really blessing to hear about your testimony. We love your parents, your sisters, having your family as part of our church. It's really a great blessing for me to baptize you. So based on your testimony of faith, that we just heard. It's a privilege to baptize you this morning in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as Jesus said. Buried with him in baptism and raised to walk a new life. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Listen this morning as Josh shares his testimony. My name is Josh Lampier. Growing up, I guess, uh, I was born into, uh, I guess, what some people might call a mixed family. Uh, My father is Jewish, and my mother um, is not Jewish. And, you know, just kind of growing up, you know, I did, you know, all the holidays. Hanukkah, Christmas, Rosh Hashanah, Easter, and for me, all those holidays were just, you know, family getting together and celebrating the holidays as one, and at some point, I recognized that uh, I felt wrong in calling myself Jewish, but I knew I wasn't Christian either, so, you know, growing up, um, you know, I started distancing myself from um, the idea of being, you know, called any form of religion. And for the longest time, I just considered myself spiritual because uh, I understood and knew who God was, um, but not on any level of personal level or spiritual or faith. So, in my path of, you know, not understanding and knowing who God was or is, um, I just continued on a a selfish, selfless kind of path of um, just really doing me and trying to find who I am as a person, and that, you know, took me nowhere. And then um, until the beginning of uh, 2022, uh, you know, I started uh, seeing this amazing uh, young woman uh, named Jenna, and uh, 
the first time I was introduced uh, to God and Christ was uh, at a, a worship service at uh, Oak Point, and it was uh, my first time truly encountering God and Christ in any shape or form, and uh, it was uh, I was speechless. And but I felt like it was Him telling me like this is where you need to be. Uh, I was curious about who God really was, but I didn't know how to go about it until uh, Jenna told me that uh, that Amanda's dad, Mr. Crowder, uh, was willing to sit down with me and uh, do uh, this uh, little booklet called The Exchange and uh, really, you know, sit down with me and help me understand and teach me you know the beginnings of what Christianity really is and toward the end um, of the in the fourth chapter you know it asks you to pray to God and I remember sitting there um, in the third week of September on a Tuesday and I thought to myself I, I don't know how to pray you know I don't know how to pray but then I remember Jenna teaching me like you know praying isn't necessary you know there is no way of going about praying it's really just a commute you know just a conversation with God so I sat there and I had a conversation and towards the end of my conversation I begged him for you know for forgiveness uh, I confessed my sins and I promised him that I would follow him faithfully with the best I could ever do in my life and at that moment I felt what felt like him just hugging me and saying you know that you know that it is okay like I'm here for you and uh, and then I just cried after I told Jenna that because I couldn't get out the emotions uh, that I had and since then um, every every week or at least we try to with uh you know mr crowder and i we sit down and we do um either you know foundations or we're currently in uh habits of grace and it is uh truly an amazing journey that uh since being saved by christ and god um it you know it's been an amazing journey can't tell you how awesome that is to hear. It's just wonderful. I mean, not only one of our young ladies, Jenna, um, really helping Josh connect with someone who could share the gospel with him, but the faithfulness of Keith going through the exchange and continuing discipleship with Josh, and then Josh coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and wanting to demonstrate that for the church family. Just wonderful. And you know, you have friends and family here. We welcome you. We're glad that you're here today. This is, this is the story of grace. Jesus came 2,000 years ago as God, put on human flesh so he could die for our sins and save us. And he's brought you to that understanding by his grace. What an awesome testimony. Thank you for sharing that with us, Josh. What a blessing. Josh and I, we talked about the symbolism of baptism and how that this is not salvation, that he's saved 100% on his way to heaven 
a follower of Jesus Christ, but this is a wonderful way to share that testimony with the church. So based on that testimony of faith in Jesus Christ and in obedience to his command, I'm going to baptize you, as he said, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Baptize you, Josh, uh, as buried with Jesus Christ and then raised to walk in new life with him. God's people said, Amen. What a blessing, what a privilege. Most of you know Sarah, but spend some time today encouraging her and cheering her on in her faith. Most of you probably don't know Josh, but spend some time today encouraging him in his faith as well. Let's pray as we begin our service. Father, we're so grateful for these testimonies. Thank you for Jesus and forgiveness in him. Thank you for the grace that you have bestowed upon every one of us, not only in dying for our sin, but bringing us to a point where we understood that you've died for us and even giving us the faith to put in Jesus Christ and his payment for our sin. Thank you that we have the privilege of celebrating that together today as a church family. Help us now with that in mind to worship you as our Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, continue to worship. Enjoy this time of celebration, emphasizing God as the Lord of hosts, the one who is over all, singing out a great song, Glorious and Mighty. Let's sing this out together. Majesty, your glory is shining brighter than the moon and the stars. Marvelly, we honor and fear you
about great anthems, emphasizing him as over all. A couple months ago, we did, a, we kind of closed the service with one of the psalms, The Lord Almighty Reigns. And we sung that as a special, but I'd like to sing it as a congregation this morning, emphasizing the fact that God is above and over all. The Lord Almighty Reigns.
the bow and bends the spear, tells the wars to cease. O mighty one of Israel, you are on our side. We walk by faith in God who burns the chariots with fire. Lord of hosts, you're with us, with us in the fire, with us as a shelter, with us in the storm. You will lead us through the fiercest battle. Oh, where else would we go with the Lord of hosts? Oh, God of Jacob, fierce and great, you lift your voice to speak. The earth, it bows and all the mountains move into the sea. Oh, Lord, you know the hearts of men. Still you let them live. O God who makes the mountains melt, come wrestle us and win. O God who makes the mountains melt, come wrestle us and win. Lord of hosts, you're with us, with us in the fire. With us in the storm, you will lead us through the fiercest battle. Oh, where else would we go with the Lord of
It is hard to describe what it's like to know the Lord of hosts. We're going to talk about that, Lord willing, here in just a few minutes. But before we do that, uh, we want to thank you for praying for us, Amari and I, and Johnny and Laura Martin. We spent a few days in Germany with one of our missionary families, Dan and Dina Brown. And we not only want to thank you for praying for us, but thank you for allowing us to be away and for uh, funding us to do this important task of checking in on our missionaries and encouraging them. I want to just give you a little bit of context, and I want to ask Johnny and Laura and Mari to come share just a little bit of the trip with you. Some of you remember that Daniel is from Livonia, and we've been friends with him since he and Dina were married and came home from college and uh, they were working in their home church in Livonia and participating here at Wixom Christian School in our chapels. One of our kids' favorite chapel speakers before the Lord called him away to serve and ch- uh, plant churches in Liechtenstein. Um, since Americans can't typically live in Liechtenstein, they settled in a village in Germany called Leutkirk, just across the Austrian border. And uh, they planted a church there in Germany, which is where we were greeting you from last Sunday morning. But they do weekly ministry in Liechtenstein and the surrounding areas, and God is really using them to spread the gospel. They're doing a really great job, and it's very difficult to know that from letters. And it's very difficult to really feel a connection and fellowship unless you're breaking bread around somebody's table. And so we really appreciate the opportunity to do that. They serve in what they call the Rhine Valley, and so Daniel calls his ministry the Rhine Valley Project. This type of mission trip we refer to with the deacons and the staff as a pastoral mission trip, and I think it's important for you to understand that that means a couple of things in particular. First and primarily, these kinds of trips, and we've taken several over the last 12 years, these are for the pastoral staff to spend time pastoring our missionaries, and caring for the spiritual needs of our missionaries. They need that. They need that strengthening, cheering on, encouragement from home. But secondly, it affords an opportunity for Mari and I to spend some time working closely with our pastoral staff on our philosophy or understanding of the Great Commission and what it looks like here at home. And it's so good for us to see believers from around the world Um, and and to put that in the context of what God is doing here in Wixom. So this kind of trip is not primarily intended for us to take the gospel to foreigners so much as it is to do pastoral work on your behalf with our missionaries and with our staff. So we arrived in Munich last Friday and spent much of the week with the Browns. They were gracious. They included us in their Sunday services. We even got to sing a little bit in bad German, um, but we tried We also uh, led their Bible study on Wednesday night and doing daily ministry throughout the week. And we enjoyed getting to see a lot of the area in which they minister, including uh, Austria and Switzerland and Liechtenstein and in Germany. So with those things in mind, I want to have Mari and then Laura and then Johnny come and share briefly about some of the lessons learned on this trip. I don't see a microphone for you. I'm going to grab this baptismal microphone for her. Come on up. As Brad said, we are very grateful that you prayed for us, um, and it was a fantastic trip. 
what I keep telling everybody, it's like living in a postcard. The scenery is just magnificent. It was just beautiful. Um, and I don't understand why Germans want to come to America. It's just not the same. But anyway, they do. Um, so real quickly, um, one of the things I want to encourage you to do is if you have a chance to read the um, prayer letters, the women always um, put a little blurb and something that's very um, heavy on their heart. And I know that they would appreciate if you just read that and, and would pray for them for very specific things. Raising kids in a different culture is something that I don't understand, and it is definitely a struggle for them. They're third-culture kids. Micah was three when they went. Kaylee was 18 months, and their son, Toby, was born there. They're not American kids. Um, they are definitely German kids. And um, so with that comes a lot of um, interesting things that Dan and Dina probably have to handle more so. One of the things that they do, um, they have to home, um, send their children to school. Homeschooling is illegal in Germany. They will be at your door, child protective services, giving you a fine, ultimately trying to take your children. You cannot homeschool in um, Germany. So they have struggled with that. And you can imagine, anybody who's familiar with the public schools here in America, Germany is a little bit more advanced, and so you have no say-so. Um, so they start really young. Kindergarten starts from three years old and goes till you're in six years old. So you have three years of kindergarten. Then they go into their grades. Toby is seven, is just, just finishing his first real year of school. But in the kindergarten, they start teaching them. They don't teach them anything um, really educational. They teach them how to sit and how to play with their friends and very like social kind of things that you would assume that your parents are, you know, parents are teaching your children, but um, that's what they do. And then when they get into the elementary grades or whatever, but in third grade, they start very actively teaching German kids to be independent from their parents. They have a class, it's in their curriculum, they teach them how to um, be independent and that the children have a children's bill of rights. They have... Um, more, you know, rights over their parents and safe places that their parents aren't allowed into, and they teach them how that looks starting in third grade. Um, and then they go to, tech, um, typically, they go through 10th grade, age of 16, and they're done. If they want to go to 11th and 12th grade, they can take um, a several series of tests and try to get into that to go into university, or they really encourage them to be independent from their parents, get a job, and start working. Um, I don't know about most of you, but even you 16-year-olds probably don't necessarily feel like you're ready to live life on your own. But um, So Dan and Dina have um, really struggled with um, just all of these things. There's um, Micah, who is just finishing his seventh grade year, has 14 subjects in school, and it's just about everything you can name. And so there are several things that they have been allowed to take them out of, like the religion classes and some of the other classes, and not force him to go to. So sometimes he's in school for two hours, sometimes three hours. It changes every day, every week, every whatever. Um, so um, we've just been really... Um, I've been burdened specifically to pray specifically for Dina and Dan as well as she really they try to navigate through all of this because in three years Mike is going to be done with school and he does want to come to America and finish high school and go to college and they don't know what that's going to look like and so they're very um, torn they don't exactly know what it's going to look like um, and then just knowing that they have a um, their Kaylee will be finishing the fourth grade and then next 
school year will be going from fifth into the fifth to tenth grade, and they have no they know what's coming. They know what's coming in the curriculum. They know what she's going to be taught, and because um, they've already met, you know gone through that with Micah, and they just are they would just really appreciate your prayers of just helping them in the wisdom and um, and dealing with their children and um, keeping them safe and keeping them. Um, interested in Christian things and living Christian, um, it's not an easy task for them. Thank you again for your prayers and support on this trip. It was a really great learning experience. While I was there, I was reminded just the extra challenges that missionaries face on a day-to-day basis of sharing the gospel. Um, At one point in the trip, I was standing in our little hotel, and our German hostess was very sweet, um, and I wanted to give her an invitation to the Browns Church, a little Gospel of John, but I felt completely unable to because I really know no German at all except thank you and hello. And so I didn't have a good way to express to her why I was even giving her anything. Um, we ended up giving it to her. <laughs> Johnny said a couple things, but um, I just felt reminded that, um, one, that the language is a huge barrier um, that we don't currently have to overcome in America right now. It takes years for missionaries to learn languages. Um, I was reading that some languages take up up to four to seven years to learn completely. Um, There are also cultural barriers in the area they're in. It's considered very cold. People don't really understand the concept of faith because they think that if they're given something, they need to do something in return, Um, and they don't understand grace either. They also face government opposition, as Mari said, in some cases. Um, We also met a missionary from Greece who said that if he helped um, anyone come to know the Lord who was under the age of 18, that he would be arrested. Um, The Lord has given uh, the Browns such good opportunities while they've been there. They know the language super well, and it's just really cool to see how God's worked in them. Um, But we also met a couple who did not know the language, but God had given really cool opportunities, too. Um, They're able to live in Liechtenstein, which is very unique, um, because the husband is on a work visa there. So they open up their home for the Browns to be able to minister. Um, But they felt a little bit inept because they have um, all these English-speaking coworkers, um, but they don't have a church to invite them to because um, the church is currently in German. So we're encouraging them that despite these challenges, they can personally invite people to know Jesus. So we talked to them about the exchange Bible study, and um, they're already using their home for ministry, so they can invite these coworkers over and um, use that opportunity to share the gospel relationally. So I was reminded that I have great opportunity for witness right where I am, and it's available right away. I don't have to learn another language. I don't have, in many cases, um, cultural barriers with many of the friends in my neighborhood, or um, I just have opportunity in front of me that I can invest in. So I'm so thankful for the Browns and others who are called to foreign missions, and maybe God will call me to that one day, um, or some of you. But for now, I'm just really excited that God has given me the opportunity with so many neighbors and people in my life that I can start investing in right away. Well, whenever I was in high school, um, my worst exam was German. I got a C, and that was basically a uh, just about passed. So, but uh, one of the things that I really enjoyed about uh, being in Germany was picking up some of the language 
um, and being reminded of some of the things that I had learned uh, nearly 15 years ago. Uh, but there's one little phrase that I want to highlight this morning, and this is a little phrase that they mentioned in their church, and they have literature here. You can see it up on the screen. Uh, this little phrase called Einfach so, and that little phrase basically means just because. And the Browns use this phrase as part of their ministry because really it captures something of the difficulty of ministering to people in Germany. Uh, Laura mentioned it, but typically Germans do not uh, expect to be shown grace or goodness or kindness whenever it has not been earned. So they feel like they have to do something to earn favor, to earn kindness or earn goodness. Now, if you know what the gospel is, which is God sending his son because he loved us and he sent his son to this earth to die, to take our place as sinners, to uh, take his sin or take our sin upon himself, then you can see how God's grace is a difficult concept for the Germans to understand. You see, um, God's grace, God's goodness to us is really nothing of ourselves. It's nothing that we have done to earn grace to earn favor from God. It's all about what he has done. That's a difficult concept for Germans. So what the Browns have been doing is they have been using this little phrase, ein fact so, just because, to show people in tangible ways goodness and grace and kindness through their ministry. So perhaps whenever we were out helping the Browns with their street outreach in the marketplace, they had a little table there where they offered uh, cafe and brat, coffee and bread, and then they would say, in fact, so just because, uh, a mark of kindness, offering something to people uh, in a way to connect with them to share the gospel. Uh, they, in their ministry, they are using other methods, other ways to reflect the kindness, the goodness, the grace of Christ uh, in their lives to others. And on the bottom of this little flyer, on the back of it, it's obviously all in German, and I'll not read that this morning, but here's what it says in the very last line. It says, Just as we experience God's grace through Jesus Christ, so we pass it on. In fact, so. All right, thank you for sharing those things. And again, church, we're so grateful for you allowing us to do that, be a blessing to the Browns. There's six uh, hours ahead of us, and so during Sunday school, right before Sunday school, I got a text message from Dan, and he just sent a little video. They were on their way to their evening service in Liechtenstein, and uh, he just said, make sure you greet the church, tell them we love them, thank you for praying for us, and tell them thank you for sending you guys over to be an encouragement to us. So thank you for doing that. Would you take your Bibles to Psalm number 46 this morning? I'm aware of the time. I know that it is fleeting, and I will be conscious of your schedule today, but we want to look into the Word of God and consider some truth this morning from Psalm 46. I appreciate the songs that Jeremy selected for our worship today, reminding us that our God is the Lord of hosts. We've been considering in this series of message entitled Albums of Worship who God is and asking the question, if God is that then how am I supposed to respond? What does that mean to me personally? And on Sunday nights in our small groups and homes, we've been exploring that question more deeply. How do I apply that characteristic of God in my life? This is absolutely critical. It's crucial. 
I've been giving you a quote the last few Sundays from A.W. Tozer in The Knowledge of the Holy, where he says that this is perhaps the most important thing about a person is how they view God, because we tend to move towards our definition of God. Actually, last Sunday morning, as Holden was bringing the message from Psalm 115, that, that message really put an exclamation point on that truth as Holden brought us this, the message that said, look, if you're, a, if you're worshiping a dead God, you're dead spiritually. But if you're worshiping a God who lives, he's bringing you life and he has promised you eternal life. And so what you believe about God is absolutely crucially important. And that makes, by the way, what we do in this moment, this 30 or 35 minutes on Sunday morning, it makes it absolutely crucial to your spiritual health. This is not the moment to check out for a nap because what we believe about God is absolutely critical to our spiritual health. We want to know the living God more personally so we will worship him better and in turn have the life that he has planned for us. So this morning... I want to bring you this message entitled, Our God is the Lord of Hosts. And I want to read Psalm 46 for you. This is a brief psalm, but I think you will see this theme coming out, who God is as the Lord of Hosts. Psalm 46, would you follow along? Here are the words of God. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be moved Though the mountains be carried into the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, we will not be troubled because our God is the Lord of hosts. There is a river. The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God and the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her and she shall not be moved. God shall help her and that right early, right on time. The heathen rage and the kingdoms were Moved, he uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he has made in the earth. He makes wars to cease unto the end of the earth. And he breaks the bow and cuts the spear in sunder. He burns the chariot in the fire. So, be still. Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, as the song says that we sing often, what a privilege to come into your presence. What a privilege to linger with the one who has set us free. Father, we stand in awe of who you are. What a great God. We worship you this morning. But we also stand in awe of what you've done. Lord, your creation, your hand in the history of mankind. But most personally to us, what you did with your son on the cross. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for us. Thank you for the testimonies that we heard this morning of those that came to an understanding that without you they didn't have a hope of eternal life. They must put their faith in Jesus Christ. And Lord, if there's some here today that don't know you, 
Would you help them to understand what that means to trust Christ as Savior today? Father, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and not do the things I say? Implying, Lord, that if you are Lord, that you are master, you are boss, you're in charge, you are the preeminent head of this body, the church. And so today we honor King Jesus, we lift him up, and we ask that you'd help us to follow him today better. Help us to see in your word the truths you have for us today. We ask in our risen Savior's name. Amen. I want to point out to you this morning just a few things about the Lord of hosts. But before we do that, a quick definition. What does it mean to be the Lord of hosts? This is, if you didn't know, Isaiah's favorite name for God. It's all throughout his book. This is also Jeremiah's favorite name for God. In fact, it's many of the the minor prophets as well. This is their primary name of God. It occurs 261 times in the Old Testament, sometimes translated as the Lord Almighty. It means this, the Lord, these capital L-O-R-D, it means Yahweh or Jehovah, the self-existent God, the one that we know as the great I Am. Host has been translated as the Hebrew word Sabaoth, which means armies. So he is the great I am of armies, the God of the armies of heaven, the Lord of hosts. We might hear that and we might think, okay, that sounds great. I'm just not sure what it means for me. Can I just tell you that the authors of scripture, the Old Testament prophets, this meant a lot to them. It meant a lot to them. There's some huge ramifications if the king that you serve is the king of kings, right? And the Lord that you have is the Lord of lords. I mean, that means something, and it meant something to these prophets. Listen to Isaiah. Um, Hezekiah is actually praying in Isaiah chapter 37, and he says this, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, thou that dwellest between the cherubims, you are the God, even you alone. You're the God. The only one there is. Isaiah chapter 24 verse 21. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall punish the host of the high ones that are on high. And the kings of the earth upon the earth. And they shall be gathered together as prisoners are gathered together in a pit. And shall be shut up in the prison. And after many days they shall be visited. Then the moon shall be confounded. And the sun shall be ashamed when the Lord of hosts shall reign. The Lord of hosts is coming to reign. This is the supreme title for God. He is the only God. The one in charge. The one that answers to no one. The one that everyone answers to. And the point of the Old Testament prophets is this, that they were serving the God who could make a difference in their life and in their nation. The Lord of hosts. I sometimes think about Jesus In his model prayer, remember what he said? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which is an incredibly powerful implication that God's will is done in heaven when he says it is done in heaven. And yet, humanity arrogantly says no to God and rejects his commands as Lord. He is the Lord. And you can confidently put yourself under his protection. 
This morning you might think, okay, so I think what we're going to talk about is lordship. Like, he's in charge. I should say, yes, sir. And by the way, that is part of salvation, and that is a major New Testament concept, but that's not what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the fact that today God is the Lord, not just of me, but he's the Lord of heaven's armies. He is the commander of the most powerful force in the universe, and he's not going anywhere. We were driving this last week. It was really fun for us to drive to some areas, and we we were uh, a little bit east in germany and we were uh, visiting some sites to see there and we thought we you know it's just a few hours if we cross austria which you can just cross you know pretty quickly if you cross austria we can go to italy and have a pizza so we went to italy and we had a pizza and on so we had about six hours in the car and while we're in the car we downloaded a little book um that was about the history of austria And, and you know what the history of austria reminded us of the history of israel because here's what the history of Austria sounds like. So it was this really powerful guy, and he was kind of selfish, and he, he got all this money and these palaces and all this stuff, and then he died. Right? And then there was this other guy who, who, who reigned, and he had all this stuff, and he built this stuff, and these palaces, and he did these things, and he died. And then this guy died, and then another guy died, and then this guy was taken over, and this guy was declared insane, and then this guy died. And it was just over for six hours, just a bunch of guys that reigned and died. Right? And what we were doing is in the car, we were celebrating. Aren't you glad that God... Still reigns, right? I mean, he just, he's been reigning for eternity past, right? He's been reigning for eternity past, and he will reign for eternity future, and he's still reigning. He will never die. He is a permanent God. And this is the Lord of hosts that we're talking about today. So let me just give you really quickly four truths about the Lord of hosts. Number one, the God of heaven's armies is present, present. We actually considered putting this a little bit later in the series, not in L's, but in P's, because this is kind of the theme of this passage, that God is present. In verse 1 it says he is present. In verses 7 and 11 it says he is with us. Emmanuel, God with us, reminds us of Jesus. But verse number 1 says God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And then he goes on to talk about his present refuge, his present strength, the courage he gives in verses 2 and 3. Even in the midst of the worst case scenario, look what he says. Though the earth be moved and the mountains fall into the ocean and the waters are roaring and the mountains are trembling and shaking and falling apart. It's a worst case scenario. The Lord of hosts is present. He's right there with us. Psalm 80 verse 19. Turn us again, O Lord God of hosts. Cause thy face to shine and we shall be saved. What is the psalmist saying here in Psalm 80. Look, Lord, it doesn't matter what is happening around me. If your face is there, if your presence is there, if you look at me, I'll have great confidence. I just want your presence. And that's why when we come into this place, we should be thinking what we prayed this morning. Lord, what a privilege just to come into your presence and just to linger. We don't belong in the presence of God. You know that, right? We don't belong here. Not in this, I'm not talking about this room. I'm talking about the presence of holy God. We don't belong there. Only because of the blood of Jesus, only because of the righteousness of Jesus, can we be in the presence of holy God. And what the psalmist is saying is, Lord, I just want to be in your presence. Think about the difference this makes. Remember the disciples, they're going across the lake and this great storm comes up and they think they're going to die. What was the difference maker for them? Jesus was in the boat, right? Right? The presence of God. 
mean, if you've got the presence of God, you can be fearless and courageous. And that's why he says in verse 2, Therefore we will not fear. We will not fear because he is present. Reminds me of Jesus. The promises in Matthew chapter 18. Remember after giving the great commission, what did he say? For lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the earth. In Matthew chapter 18, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Our God is present. By the way, just think about this. In the context of ancient warrior kings, a little different than a a general who today might command his armies from an office with a big screen TV, right? And say, okay, you guys go over here, you guys go here, drop the bomb there. That's not the way it worked with ancient warrior kings you wanted to have your leader with you, right? Have you ever been in a situation like that? Maybe you can remember as a kid being afraid, right? And you're in a situation where you think, I don't know if this is safe. And you turn around and you see your dad and he's smiling and he winks at you. And you're like, oh, it must be safe, right? That's exactly the kind of feeling that the psalmist is talking about here. Hey, my king is with me and he's the Lord of hosts. No problem at all. I can handle the worst case scenario because my Lord is present. Number two, the God of heaven's armies is permanent. He's permanent. He's not going anywhere. Got to think a little bit and dig a little bit here, verses four through seven. But what we mean by permanent is that he's not shaken by human evil and instability. The psalmist describes the heathen raging and the kingdoms being moved and the earth melting And yet, the Lord of hosts is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his provision will never run out. He mentions this stream that makes glad the city of God. The supply of the Lord of hosts. His life-giving supply. Think about what this means in the context of the gospel. The life-giving supply of the Lord of hosts will never run out. It doesn't run out for me personally, and it never runs out. God is still saving souls. Amen? Amen. I mean, if you're in a walled city, an, an ancient walled city, one of the biggest fears is if we run out of water, we're all going to die. And the psalmist says, look, God is the supply for his people. The Lord of hosts is the endless supply of living water. Jeremiah talked about this in Jeremiah chapter 2 where he he talks about God being the fountain of living waters. Jesus, in John chapter 7, said, This is me. He that believes on me, out of him shall flow rivers of living water. John chapter 4, remember, Jesus is talking to the the woman at the well, and, and he says to her, Look, whoever drinks of this water shall thirst again, but if you drink of me, you shall never thirst. Why? Because the Lord of heaven's armies is an endless supplier of life. His fountain never runs dry. He is permanent. He's not going anywhere. Luther said this. Listen to this quote. If we perish, Christ falls with us. He's in the midst of us. And I would rather, if it was possible, perish with Christ than the greatest ruler of this world. (laughs) I would rather perish with Christ. He's permanent. He is with us. He is present. This too is reflective of an ancient warrior king. 
who was setting the example of bravery for his men when they were afraid. They looked to see, is our king still alive? You read accounts of this in scripture and in secular history where when the king perishes or the commander perishes, what do the men do? Scatter, right? We don't have our leader, but our leader is permanent. He anchors us as the permanent Lord of hosts. And number three, he's proven. He's not just present, he's not just permanent, but he is proven. Verses 8 through 11 talk about all of the things that God does for his people. He makes wars to cease by destroying the weapons of the warring. As the songwriter said, nothing formed against me shall stand. Nothing. Why? Because I have the Lord of hosts on my side. So that we can confidently be still, the psalmist says, And know that I am God. Be still. Can I just challenge you with that for a second this morning? We're often too busy, aren't we? And we're often busy doing things that we should be just trusting God to do. I'm not saying that we should be lazy. But I'm saying I think that sometimes Christians are just too much handering. Right? I spend too much time worrying when the God of angel armies is on my side. This is what the psalmist says, just be still. I I had a friend who was a junior high math teacher. That's a special person, right? And he used to say this. This was his quote. It was, hey, put your hands in your pockets and take your attitude way down. That's what he would say to his students, right? When they were getting a little freaked out. What was he saying? Look, I think maybe you just need to chill out. Just chill out. Sometimes as believers, we need to be reminded of that. When's the last time you just lingered in his presence? Didn't think about where you had to go. Didn't think about what you had to do. You just were still. And you knew that he was God. What a privilege to linger in the presence of the Lord of hosts. You think you're busy. Try being the Lord of hosts. Right? And yet he says, look, I just want you to spend time with me. Be still. And know that I am God. The Lord of hosts is with us. Be still. Remember Peter at the Mount of Transfiguration? <laughs> he was a knucklehead, kind of like us, right? So here's what, here's what Peter did. He's, he's invited in. There's only three guys, three humans there beside Jesus. And they have this great vision. And they basically have... A window of heaven open to them and Jesus is transfigured into his glory right in front of them. And Peter is like, I got an idea. You know what we should do? We should build some memorials here. It's almost like God speaks directly to Peter and says, hey, be still. This is my son in whom I'm pleased. You put your hands in your pocket. (laughs) Take your attitude way down, Peter. And be still and know that I am God. Be still. He is faithful. We need to sit at his feet. 2 Timothy 2, verse 13 says, Even if we don't believe, he abides faithful. Psalm 84, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusts in you. He is the faithful, permanent, present, and proven God of angel armies. Let me give you just a couple of takeaways for us, okay? Just real quick. There's three things to think about as we go. So what does it mean for me? What does it mean for a 21st century 
believer if the primary point of this psalm is not to treat him as Lord in my own life. He is Lord. Hopefully we treat him as Lord in our own life. We should. Why call you me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say, Jesus says. But what is the point of the psalm? What are we supposed to take away from this? Number one, I would challenge you to worship Jesus as Lord of hosts. To worship Jesus as Lord of hosts. Remember when Jesus was in the garden and he's praying and he's betrayed by Judas? And here's all of the Roman soldiers and the disciples are starting to get kind of nervous. So Peter pulls out a sword. He's ready to go to battle. And Jesus says something to Peter. He says, hold on a second. Don't you realize if I wanted to, I could say the word and 10,000 angels would be right here. If I wanted to. Jesus is the Lord of hosts. This is our Savior. Heaven's armies move at His command. And by the way, can I just tell you that someday heaven's armies will move at His command? And it will be a sight like no other. Revelation chapter 19, And I saw heaven open, John says, And behold, there was a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that he with it should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is the Lord of hosts. Worship him for that. But secondly, I think we should celebrate these truths as individual Christians. Celebrate these truths as individual Christians. No matter how dark your life is right now personally, if you're a believer, a follower of Jesus, God is present and in charge. Are you with me? God is present and in charge. Would you repeat that with me? God is present and in charge. He's present and in charge, even if life seems dark. Number two, no matter how quickly things change, God is permanent and consistent. Would you say that with me? God is permanent and consistent. He's not only present and in charge, he's permanent and he's consistent. And no matter how violent the opposition to righteousness becomes, God is a proven victor. Say that with me. God is a proven victor. We follow the Lord of hosts, the God of angel armies. That's number two. And number three, I think we should celebrate these things together as a church. As a church. Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. Celebrate following the Lord of hosts as a church. What a promise. Martin Luther lived this out in real time. In his day, the church was under attack. At any moment, the leaders of the gospel movement could be burned at the stake. Probably what inspired his hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. As we close, let me quote this for you. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amidst the flood of mortal ills, is prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and his power are great. 
and armed with cruel hate on earth is not Satan's equal. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man, Jesus, on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he, Lord Sabaoth. The God of angel armies is his name. From age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word can fell him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. So let goods and kindreds go. This mortal life also. The body, they may kill. God's truth, abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for being the Lord of hosts. And thank you for this psalm that reminds us of your power over the difficulties we might encounter in life. We're grateful that we know you, our Father, as Lord of hosts, but we're also grateful that our Savior is the commander of heaven's armies. Nothing is too great for him. Thank you for the privilege of knowing you, following you, and loving you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. And as we did a couple of months ago, we're going to close our service. I think it's very appropriate with what we heard this morning, emphasizing the fact that Lord Almighty reigns. We'll sing just the ending chorus section there. Thank you for watching this video of one of our recent services. It's a pleasure for us to have you join us from a distance and join our church in a time of worship around the Word of God. The most important message that we can tell you is that God loves you. And he loves you so much that He gave Jesus Christ as payment for your sins. And the Bible says that all that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. We want you to know that message that true life is found in Jesus Christ. An eternal life, the opportunity to live with God forever in heaven, in spite of our sinfulness. True life is only found in Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Would you be willing to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Would you be willing to pray something like this? Lord, I know I'm a sinner, and I know there's nothing I can do about my sinfulness. I don't want to pay for my own sin, and I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want his death on the cross to pay for my sins. I want to repent from doing things my own way and make Jesus Lord of my life. Would you be willing to pray something like that and put your faith in Jesus Christ? If so, we want to help you as you start your spiritual journey with Jesus Christ. 
God loves you. Our church loves you. We're glad that you could watch this message today. God bless.